This program is sponsored by Dave Stahl. It's time to get educated on your Second Amendment rights. Welcome to two full hours of Gun Owners Radio. Your hosts, Dave Stahl, Joe Dramisi, and Michael Schwartz, will teach you about firearms, self-defense, and the laws that affect your rights to keep and bear arms. Visit GunOwnersRadio.com with questions to learn how to become a sponsor of Gun Owners Radio and get involved. Together, we will win. Now here's your hosts, Dave Stahl, Joe Dramisi, and Michael Schwartz on The Answer San Diego. All right, folks, welcome to Gun Owners Radio, FM 961, AM 1170. The Answer. In-person monthly meetings continue and new developments around the Miller versus Bonta case, a.k.a. the assault weapons ban. Whoa. But hey, we are really proud to have John Dillon and the Dillon Law Group as our show sponsor and did you know dylan law is one of the attorneys on the miller versus bonta case and if you have legal matters that involve firearms and you need to call him john dylan is the best and if you have questions about red flag laws gun registration gun transportation or maybe you just need to know that your guns are california compliant call our trusted firearms attorney john dylan john dylan specializes in california gun laws call him at 760 642-7150, or you can visit his website at dillonlawgp.com. And tune in to the YouTube live stream at your youtube.com slash gunownersradio. Like and subscribe. We would really, really appreciate it. We got a full house here today, Dave. Boy, don't we, though? Yep. We got Joe on the end. How's it going, man? Squeak? You got to squeak the microphone. Uh, yeah, just uh, just wonderful over here. Having a happy Father's Day. Yeah, g- congratulations. Happy Father's Day. Oh, thank you. You're going to thank me for my service here, too. Right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> that and, was a full-time job. And Desi from Not Me SD, San Diego County Gun Owners. How hey, are you? Mike. How are you? Fantastic. Welcome to the studio. Thanks for having me today. You bet. Now, you're going what, what, to do a cool interview, right? I am going to do a cool interview with Steph from Active Self-Protection today. She's the best. Yeah. She's awesome. Yeah. And by the way, thanks for hooking up with uh, SDORC, doing a cleanup. Of course. That's what I'm here for. They were so impressed with uh, hashtag Not Me SD. That's awesome. Yeah. So What are you talking about? What happened? Her, she hooked up with uh, Audrey Mason yeah. from Who's San Diego Off Road Coalition. Oh, okay, cool. For a cleanup. Oh, nice. You and, like a desert cleanup? Where'd you guys Where'd go? You guys, what'd you guys clean? It's been a little bit, so I don't remember, but I, I think know we cleaned out, something. I think it was out <laughs> on uh, Highway 8, probably by uh, Buckman Springs. Sounds about right. Yeah, sounds about right. But anyway, she's going to be hooking up with you guys as well. Fantastic. I'm, I'm a whiz at cleaning. I know you are. <laughs> yeah. Better at dirtying. Yeah. <laughs> But, and then we have the lovely Melissa. Hello. Who's already taken filtered pictures here. Yep. I want to give me. I want to see what I look like in a filter at some okay, point. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do a let's picture do of me with a filter, and then we'll post that. Post it you have that uh, Pixar filter. You know, that's the one that people are doing now. Oh, uh, yeah? Yeah, they're uh, recreating themselves to be like Pixar <laughs> characters. There's a whole lot <laughs> for me to filter. I'll tell you that. Okay, we'll post this one later on, on Gun Owners of, Radio. Yeah, well, yeah. To we'll, see, I'll send it to Rich, and then San Diego County Gunners will see it, and you'll see Michael with glasses and some like bare ears. <laughs> well, don't ruin it. Yeah, don't ruin it's it. It's a big surprise. <laughs> Let him guess who it is. Yeah. <clears throat> so what? Now you're going to do a gear review today, right? I am on another three V gear bag. Another what? Another three V gear bag. Nice. Okay, perfect. Okay. All right. Well, we had our in-person meetings last week for San Diego. We have in-person meetings coming up this week for Orange County 
Riverside and San Bernardino. But San Diego, we had our three in-person meetings uh, at, uh, where did we go? North County Shooting Center, um, Discount Gun Mart on Marana, and then, of course, uh, LaBella's Pizza. Cool thing happened at LaBella's Pizza. We had like 40 people in the room, which is cool in and of itself. And, you know, we had the big roll-up banner that said San Diego County Gun Owners on it. Uh, a guy came up to me and uh, said, what's this all about? He was there having dinner uh, with some folks. He saw our banner and didn't know we existed and came and got information and joined and was so happy. And we found out we had a couple of friends in common. And I uh, was so happy to hear that San Diego County Gun Owners existed. How about that? Yeah, all right. See, so that banner paid for itself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's exactly what I That's what I told him. I was like, oh, good. Now, <laughs> thank goodness. <laughs> Glad I got that banner. Yeah, no kidding. So 22 states, 22 states urged the Ninth Circuit to let the uh, uh, repeal of the assault weapons ban stay. In other words, 22 different states out there, which is almost half. Mm -hmm. I can't, I'm not real good at math, but <laughs> it's almost half, uh, wrote and said, look, we want your ridiculous assault weapons ban to go away. We agree with the decision that it's unconstitutional. So they wrote letters in support of wow. letting it die. So how can you fight that? How can the other side fight something like that? Easily fight something like that. They don't care. Yeah. <laughs> was that a was that a mix of blue states and red states, or is it mostly red states, mostly blue states? Uh, gee, that's a good question. You know, and, and when people talk about red and blue states, it's actually a little misleading. Um, they are usually talking about who voted for the last president. But there are a lot of red states whose legislatures are very blue, um, especially in the South. Um, and they still vote for, you know, red presidents. Um, there aren't really any blue states that are actually red, though. <laughs> that yeah. hasn't really happened. <laughs> but the other way around. So it's a little, it's, it's a little uh, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's but I don't know the answer to the question. Well, yeah, I guess to rephrase it, you know, is it, is it mostly states where most of the population supports the Second Amendment or not? Because there was two arguments with that, right? It's the obvious one where if you're um, from a state that, that actually supports the Second Amendment, then, okay, yeah, they, they believe the thing is dumb and they want it to go away. But there was another concern with states that, that also have bans that they don't want this this thing necessarily overturned at the Supreme Court level because now that affects their bans maybe in their states, whereas if it stays out here, it doesn't impact them quite as much. Well, I, so the other some of the other states that have assault weapons bans like Massachusetts, um, I don't think any of those I – don't, I don't remember seeing any of the real anti-gun – states on as a as part of the 22 states okay because if it gets uh decided in the ninth circuit that's what nine different states i think the ninth circuit covers About, yeah something like that i don't remember exactly but yeah something like that mm. but still it's nice seeing 22 states say hey we agree with you it'd be nicer if they you know moved out here and helped us fight it but they're not moving out here it's too expensive too expensive no houses to buy are you kidding? They're building them left and right around town. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> it's just insane. But but the but the so the monthly meetings went really well. A lot of a lot of fun. Of course, we do this every month. We move them around. We have a north, a south, and a central or, or central slash east. Um, same agenda every month. Um, if you don't know when it is, hop on our website, get on our email list. Most important, join San Diego County Gun Owners, and we'll. We'll make sure you know. So pretty good turnouts too, right? Because uh, yeah. you said Labella was pretty big. Yeah. Uh, I know the one I was at at Discount Gun Mart was uh, pretty full. Yeah, D Discount Gun Mart was probably on. So I, I don't want to hurt North County or South County's feelings, but Discount Gun Mart was probably the best meeting. We had like six guest speakers 
uh, including Joe. I didn't Desi. know they were going to be guest speakers. Aren't yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't. If you show, listen, if you show up and you have anything to say, you're, I'm going to put you I'm put you on the spot, stick you in front of the spotlight. That's so, awesome. So yeah, it was. It was very very cool. So uh, I forget where they're going to be next year or next uh, month. Next year. <laughs> next year. Next month. But uh, uh, but in if you're listening from Orange County, we're going to be at Rockwell's, uh, cl- real close to Anaheim, um, on. Wednesday. Oh, I don't want to mess this up. Thursday night. Thursday night. Melissa just shot me a look. Did I get it wrong? <laughs> I think you're right. Okay, Thursday night. <laughs> and then uh check out go to go to ocgunowners.com That'd and be the, the information's on. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh I'm going to be there. I should really know this. Yeah, you should. Well, and it's it's nice too the uh, concealed carry seminars in person are picking back up as well. Yes. So mm. that, that's yep. another uh did you, that's another fun thing. I did the first one in um at Poway Weapons and Gear, and then nice. on the 28th, they have some kind of schedule thing, so we're postponing that one. But uh, I think they're picking up around the uh, rest of the county. Is that right? Yes. So we're going to have four, five, or six in-person CCW, how to get your CCW meetings, Poway Weapons and Gear, North County Shooting Center, uh, Discount Gun Mart, uh, Lock Discount Store. Discount Gun Mart's Lock like in a couple days. Yeah. Yep. yep. I think that's me. I think I'm teaching that. Okay. I'll have to double check. Yep. There you go. Who's your secretary? Yeah, my secretary. Who is your secretary? Uh, You're looking at her. That's what I thought. Ah. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. This is Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1, AM 1170. The answer. All right, folks, welcome back to Gun Owners Radio. AM 1170. The answer. Without the movie Red Dawn, San Diego County gun owners and gun owners radio might never have existed. On the line is a fellow Wolverine, Jamie Franks, to talk about this influential movie with me. But we need to thank Joe Wall Design for helping to make our plot against the president movie night so successful. I wanted that 308 bullet pennant. It was, a, it was a big hit. I really wanted it, and I didn't get it. But, hey, the neat thing about the firearms-inspired jewelry is that they are concert com- conversation starters. Some of their pieces are based on triggers, firing pins, bolt heads, as well as bullets. And if you're not into guns, you probably wouldn't recognize what they are. But the jewelry is so distinct and striking that you just can't help but want to ask about it. So visit them at joewalldesign.com. Use code PLOT to get a $20 off your first order over $50. All right. So we have uh, pro shooter, shooting instructor, active duty military, outdoorsman, and Red Dawn superfan, Jamie Franks on the line. How are you, Jamie? I'm doing good. How about you guys? Good. Fantastic. So... We, uh, you know, it was, I don't know when it was, a year ago, two years ago, you and I start, start talking about Red Dawn and everybody in our age bracket, which is, you know, basically anybody born in, you know, about mid sixties to about 1980. Um, if you're an American male born in, in that age bracket, you saw Red Dawn and it, you didn't just see it, but I swear it had some kind of impact on your life. Um, and I, that's not really an understatement. Um, but you and I got to talking about Red Dawn, and you talked about what a huge impact it had on your life, um, and you know who you are, and, and your military service. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. 
So I, I always start by saying that like the, the biggest disservice or injustice that people do to Red Dawn is they lump it in with the other kind of like cheesy 80s action movies that came out at the time. And like, I'm not even really sure I would classify it as, as, a, as a, an action movie per se. It's more of a, a drama movie. But um, my grandfather was in World War II and, and, night, and uh, Red Dawn came out in 1984. So um, at about that time, um, my granddaddy gave me his um, now what we now would call a war belt or a battle belt, but like his, his pistol belt from World War II that had his canteen and pistol holster and uh, field dressing pouch and all that stuff on it. And it said U.S. on it. And um, I remember, like, I didn't at that time, I was a little kid, I didn't know what U.S. meant. I'm like, granddaddy, what does U.S. mean? And he's like, U.S. means you're the good guys. <laughs> and, uh, and that was about the same time Red Dawn came out. And, um, like the the really overarching theme of that whole movie is just extreme patriotism like these kids were so patriotic they were caught in the middle of this invasion and their very first instinct was we got to fight back and uh you know there and hopefully i'm not skipping ahead but there's the kind of one of the climactic scenes in the movie where they have the the russian prisoner and uh they say you know what's the difference between them and us and jed replies because we live here and uh, so between my grandfather and, and really honestly and the movie Red Dawn um, really instilled a, a deep sense of patriotism um, in me at a really early age. So Red and Dawn, really, I mean, I, oh, I'm sorry, Red Dawn first movie rated. I, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jimmy. I was going to say that, that I, I'm, it's not even a, a stretch for me to say that, like, the, the movie Red Dawn, like, heavily contributed to the man that I became and the man that I am today. But. Yeah, factual. I mean, absolutely. And, and you're not the only person. I run into people all the time who, who say that, who, again, are in our, our age bracket. Um, uh, okay, so Red Dawn, first movie rated PG-13, uh, for a long yeah. time considered the most violent movie um, ever ever made because of the like acts of violence per minute or whatever were, were through the roof. Um, a lot of there's a lot of debate. Do you consider Red Dawn a an anti-war or a pro-war movie? Hmm. I definitely don't consider it a pro-war movie. I think it's um, I think it's very accurate in its depiction of war, in that it illustrates the point that war is not fun and war is not glorious. And no matter which side you're on, because they, they show that at the end of Red Dawn as well, that like for the occupying force, for the Russians and the Cubans, it sucks for them, too. I mean, it obviously it's terrible for all the Americans that are that are living through this on our in our own land. But it also sucks when you're the soldier that's on deployment fighting a war in some other country. So it illustrates the point that no matter which side you're on. War isn't fun and war isn't good and war isn't glorious. And really, it kind of goes back to. Like what um, um, Sun Tzu and um, von Clausewitz, like n like really nobody wins a war when you fight a war. So if I had to pick between pro and anti, I guess I would pick anti, but uh, definitely not pro. But I, I've always loved that it illustrates that war is not fun and not cool, and really it's it's horrible for both sides. It 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 act that movie has led to I have a kind of a little little philosophy that war is the result of a failing foreign policy. If your foreign yep. policy has failed, that results in war. War is not foreign policy. It is the result of a failed foreign policy. And it gets a lot of criticism for being pro, you know, for, for, uh, uh, um, 
for uh, trying to glorify war, and I think it's the exact opposite. In fact, I just not long ago somebody uh, made the statement that it was it was kind of uh, uh, Lord of the Flies. It was a modern day Lord of the Flies, and uh, you know they just kind of set it off off the cuff. But you know it got me thinking. I it's the exact opposite. You know, Lord of the Flies uh, was a was a movie where uh, you know the adults died and they're in this situation and they and all these kids fell apart and turned into chaos. Whereas I think Red Dawn is the exact opposite. They were escaping problems created by adults, and it actually brought out a a more uh, a, a more mature side of them. They said, "All right, well, we have to handle this. We have to do this ourselves." They didn't fall apart. They actually organized and became and became better. You know, they became more responsible. They became more self sufficient. Um, but uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? I think that's absolutely right. I've never actually thought about it in those terms before. But you're right. They um, they came together and kind of with no other choice. But like, if you want to talk about a modern day Lord of the Flies, uh, the movie Taps with. Uh, Tom Cruise and Timothy Hutton and Sean Penn, that would be a modern-day Lord of the Flies. And there's a good line in that movie where um, the commander of the National Guard or whatever, he says, you know, some silly son of a bitch puts you guys in love with war. That's more Lord of the Flies. Like in Red Dawn, they weren't in love with war. They weren't doing it because um, they were trying to glorify war or because they were trying to be heroes. They were just trying to do what they thought was right. Um, so yeah, I think you're absolutely right on that. Well, and to your point on it, not it's not just some silly action movie. I mean, there was a whole scene where the Cuban commander, because the invasion, the invading force were were you know Soviet Russians and uh, uh, you know communist Cubans, and the Cuban commander, they, there was a whole scene where he uh, was you know you, you were basically hearing his inner monologue. He was writing a letter to his wife describing how horrible it was, and uh, you know. Uh, exactly what you're saying, how horrible it is to be deployed overseas in another country and you're an invading force and how he missed her. And, you know, you don't see that in, you know, a Schwarzenegger movie. You know, you didn't see that in, right. in uh, you know, in, in a Stallone movie. I mean, this was not some, you know, uh, superhero, you know, blood and guts and gore thing. I mean, this is a, a real true uh, drama. I, I'd also heard that he uh, he actually spoke to, he being the, the writer and director was a guy named John Melius, um, who, if you've heard the, if you've heard at least one episode of Gun Owners Radio, you've heard me talk about John Mulis. <laughs> so, but uh, he was he actually spoke to uh, some pretty high level military folks, and and you know talked about this and said, hey, is, what's the most realistic invasion scenario? Um, and that's you know that's what they came up with was the you know these these Cuban and, and Russian special forces you know splitting the splitting the nation in two. But what so tell me what's the most important thing? Do you remember when you saw it? like how did it affect you? Like what what what's a direct way it, it truly affected you and, and you know put you on a path as a kid? So for me, like um, again, Red Dawn does such a good job at establishing a backstory, and then um, you don't find out kind of. You find out the, the the backstory and then the beginning, and then they don't fill in the the middle part until they um, till they kind of take in you know the colonel Colonel Tanner um, after he's shot down, and uh, then he fills in more of the backstory and that you know that there were these small nuclear strikes on all these U.S. cities and stuff, and it kind of paints the the bigger picture for you, um, and you can kind of put the rest of the pieces of the puzzle in place. But um, you know. Red Dawn does such a good job at character development and the backstory and everything. Like when they were 
in the beginning, they just wanted to hide out. They just wanted to lay low and this whole thing's going to blow over and then we'll be able to go back home or whatever. But then when they watched their own parents being executed, um, changed everything. They realized uh, that, yeah, like they, number one, um, I think, you know, they want revenge for their parents being murdered. And then number two, they realize that if we don't do something, we're going to be the next ones that get shot, you know? And um, so their back's against the wall. So they decide to, to use the, the tools that they have at their disposal and their, their background in hunting and all that stuff. But um, for me, it just, it, I've always had this mentality and, and uh, I hope, I hope more young people today ha- will develop this mentality too. But it's like, if somebody invades our country or somebody attacks our country, somebody has to do something about it. And that's, that's kind of what I saw in red dawn. And I was like, you know, I want that to be me. And uh, so that, to, to speak to what you just said, I mean, that's really what put me on the path. And like to quote uh, Jocko Willink, you know, when I was 18, I didn't want to go to college. I wanted a machine gun. And, and it's like I was put on that path by, by watching Red Dawn. Yeah, and there, and there were, that was another way. It's it's different from just a you know a shoot 'em up movie. Is there were a lot of there were a lot of little small themes, like kind of these subplots or these themes throughout the movie. Like uh, when they did, when all these kids did go out into the woods and they were kind of you know going, hey, what do we do now? There was this, there was a a physical you know a literal conflict between the student body president and then the guy yeah. uh, Jed, played by Patrick Swayze. Um, where basically, you know, it, it looked like just two guys, you know, duking it out. But if you dig a little deeper, the student body president really represented, you know, politicians and government, and Jed represented, yep. uh, um, you know, pragmatism and, and self reliance. And so it was a literal conflict between the two, in that they were, you know, throwing punches. But it really kind of set this tone and was was a was an underlying theme in the movie that hey. You know, you eggheads running the government here, you guys screwed up. You guys have totally messed up. You're not protecting us. In fact, you put us in harm's way due to your, uh, due to your, uh, you know, your ridiculous policies. So now it's time for, you know, pragmatism to take over. It's time for self-reliance to take over. And, uh, you know, at 10 or 11 or whatever, um, you know, I don't know how much that occurred to me, but the, the theme definitely stuck with me. So, um, you know, I think that's another reason that uh this movie was so influential to so many people okay hold on the line jamie we're going to talk about this on the other side of the of the uh, commercial yeah popcorn's almost ready right here on gun owners radio fm 961 am 1170 the answer all right folks welcome back to gun owners radio fm 961 AM 1170. The answer. Well, Blackhound Optics, accurate, affordable, guaranteed sporting optics that go the distance. Backed by customer service that goes that extra mile. Great guys, great products, and a great company that is making optics affordable. On top of quality optics, they pay close attention to the customer experience. And did you know their scopes come with mounts? So you don't have to worry about finding one that fits. We are so excited to have them on an official partner for the show. Ask for them at your local gun store or find them online at blackhoundoptics.com. All right, we're talking to Jamie Franks, who is a gentleman, a scholar, and a fine judge of scotch. And, of course, we're talking about the classic movie Red Dawn. I want to clarify here, we're not talking about the Red Dawn that came out a few years ago. Um, In fact, 
I didn't even see it. Yeah, well, I saw it. Oh my gosh! I don't like to acknowledge it existed. I I, uh, I like to think that Josh Peck does not exist either, but you know he's a terrible actor, anyways. <laughs> well, it, this movie was really really hard. Jamie, did you see the remake? Do you even exist? Do you do you acknowledge the existence of the of the remake? I did go see it and then have not acknowledged it since then. I mean, amongst my group of friends, there was no way I could get away with not going to see it. So, so I did, yeah. Yeah, I saw I, I saw about uh, the first half or three quarters of it, and that it really they didn't get it. They just didn't get it because that really was a, a stupid, uh, you know, uh, summer blockbuster, just blow them up, uh, you know, movie. I mean, they didn't get it at all. They didn't get anything right as far as the. You know complexities and themes and stories about from the original. I mean, it, it was it was enormously bad. Mike, how do you really feel about it? I know, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Just 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 pouring out. You know, you know something interesting is uh, originally uh, the the bad guys, the invading force in the remake, were supposed to be the Chinese, and uh, yep. they uh, uh, they asked the original director John Milius about it, and he went on this whole dissertation on how ridiculous that was because the Chinese have never invaded anything. That they they in fact built a wall to stop people from invading them. That they're you know so the idea of the Chinese invading the United States was was absolutely ridiculous. But apparently the marketing they wanted to sell this movie in China, and so they went back and digitally changed all the Chinese soldiers and turned them into North Koreans. Right? Isn't that what happened? Did you hear about yep, that, Jamie? And uh, yep, and that's. During that same time, that's when uh, MGM was going through um, bankruptcy. So the second Red Dawn almost didn't come out, but they already had it in the can, except for they had to go back and change all the markings on all the military vehicles, all the markings on the uniforms, all the markings on the airplanes, and make it all North Korean. Yeah. And still, it was never released in China anyway. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> fortunate for the Chinese. Because it was a really, it was just a bummer. It was a bummer. They totally ruined the movie. So, talk about what favorite scene from Red Dawn. What's your what was your favorite scene in that movie? Of uh, the original? Yeah, the original. Oh yeah, we're only talking. So from here yeah. on out, we're only talking original. Well, the, oh, just one more point on the on the new one. Like sure. they, one of the most frustrating things for me is when somebody makes something. I mean, a gun or a scope or whatever, and it's like. 75% of where it needs to be. Like, I would rather it be a complete piece of crap than 75% there. And there really was some good stuff in the new one. But like you said, they, they just totally missed the mark. You know, like in the 80s one, all the kids were like these strong football jocks. And, you know, today a lot of kids aren't like that anymore. So um, instead of going toe-to-toe with the Russians, or excuse me, with the North Koreans, they, you know, they built IEDs, which a lot of kids today are more tech-savvy than we would have been in 1984. So they did do a lot of things that could have been a, a a good thing but then but it derailed and and yeah turned it into just a complete dirty diaper but uh, my favorite <laughs> scene in the original red dawn um is uh i do like the scene in the snow um went like it's, red dawn's such a smart movie so i like all the parts where that it fills in the story like when they go to see mr mason and when they when they uh when they when when they take in uh, colonel tanner but i like the scene in the snow um, where they're ambushing the the Russian troops because it illustrates a whole bunch of things, right? Kind of what you were going into before about politician. You know, the mayor's son snuck away from the group at some point and got caught mm-hmm. and got talked into swallowing a, a tracking device, which then they used. But even still, the Wolverines were able to outsmart the troops and figure out that they were coming and set up an ambush 
and uh, gain the upper hand. And then, then of course, uh, they they capture the tracking device and they find out that uh, Daryl, you know, had a had swallowed a, a bug. And and then that's when I was a kid. That's when I learned uh, what it meant to be a traitor. I had to ask my dad, like, hey, they you know they just shot this guy that was their friend. Why did they do that? And he's like, that's what you do to traitors. But um, but I, I like that scene, that the the, the snow ambush scene, because I think there's a lot of de- it's a good action scene, and there's a lot of depth there. That's interesting. I I personally, so John Melius is well known for uh, even more uh, th- as, than a director. He's he's well known for being a writer, and he's particularly good at writing dialogue. And he wrote a lot of dialogue for, um, you know, Lucas and Spielberg and uh, Coppola, um, and he was really well known for kind of writing these. Uh, you know these big speeches or these kind of these soliloquies for you know strong uh, strong characters. And if you look at a lot of his movies, um, The Wind and uh, uh, The Lion, um, which is about Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt had a lot of these really strong uh, speeches. And I guess I, I learned in the documentary about John Melius that Sean Connery wasn't going to do the Hunt for Red October until he found out that John Melius was going to. Uh, write the dialogue and that's what brought him onto that picture so he's really truly well known for that and my favorite scene mm-hmm. was when jed and his brother you know it was charlie sheen and patrick swayze went to the concentration camp or the re-education camp to f- and found their dad yep. and the dad gave this really really you know hardcore speech on uh, how important how he's like look i was rough on you but now you know why you know and and uh, it's one of the yep. more popular you know more quoted uh, and I forget that character actor, but that dude is solid in every movie he's ever done. Um, but he, you know, yells out, avenge me, you know, when they leave. And it was just, it, it, he was, he did a really good job of kind of explaining, uh, you know, the points that, that he was trying to make and, uh, without, without really even having to beat you over the head with it, just, uh, you know, the dialogue was really, really well done. But I thought that that movie, you know, 12 year old or whatever, 11, 12 year old Mike Schwartz was moved was moved you know that was it you know all right i gotta go find a stick that looks like a gun i gotta go find a pine cone that looks like a a, uh you know hand grenade and i gotta go fight some commies here in north florida you know (laughs) (laughs) in the deep woods of north florida there's so many powerful scenes like that and and like i said and and there there's there's something you can get to piece together the, the whole picture from every scene like you know in the in the very beginning when they tell him to go to the sporting goods store and get all the, the firearm sales records. And, um, and then, like you said, the scene where the, the Cuban colonel's writing a letter to his wife and the scene at the re-education camp, um, this, you know, the scene after, because for a while, the, the Wolverines are on a hot streak. They're, they're executing all these guerrilla tactics perfectly and doing all these ambushes and all these hit and runs. And they, they even did a, a hostage rescue, but then, but, and they never took any casualties. And then the very first time they take a casualty, like half of the dudes are like, okay, I'm out. I'm done. Yeah. And that's, that's a real thing that happens too, you know? Well, and, um, and he was, so he was on the board of directors for the NRA. So that was another theme in the movie. Um, when, when the, uh, the, the Russians and Cuban leaders are talking to each other, they said, yeah, go to the sporting's good sporting goods store and pull the, uh, Melissa, what's the form, the federal form? Firearms 40, 4473. The 4473. Go, yeah. yeah, go pull that form um, because that's registration. So if you, you know everybody that's going to have guns, he was making a point there. He's making a point about registration. And then if you look uh, when they when they visited the uh, the guy that gave him supplies, they handed you know he said here let me take your guns and he checked this you know he checked the uh, the action to see it's all it's all you know subtle but 
Um, he's a huge gun guy, John Melius, the writer director. You know, like I said, served on the NRA board of directors. Um, but that was another enormous theme was how important gun ownership is, particularly in, you know, in a, in free America. Yeah, and and again, and like again, these little nuggets that are hit in there, like when they go see Mister Mason and he chamber checks the the yeah. rifle and all that yeah. stuff, and uh, he starts asking them questions, and um, uh, Robert like st- speaks up, oh yeah, we got you know we got this, we got this person. There's seven of us, and uh, it's really you almost miss it. You got to look quick, but like Matt kicks him under the table and basically telling him to shut up because you know. All of our families have been rounded up. Why has this guy not been rounded up? We don't know if we can trust this guy or not. So, like that, like I said, these little things are hidden all the way through the movie that are brilliant. I agree. So, you know, back in uh, – I don't know if I ever told you this, but uh, back in uh, 2013, I think it was, uh, my brother was moving from California to Florida, and I said, here, I'll, I'll drive with you on one condition. We have to go through Las Vegas, New Mexico. There's a Las Vegas, New Mexico. And it's yep. this little town where Red Dawn was filmed. <laughs> so, and he was like, "Why are we doing it?" And I told him why. And he's like, "That's ridiculous." I say, "Hey, that's my condition. We got to go." So we actually <laughs> stayed in the hotel where the crew uh, stayed, which also happened to be the hotel where uh, No Country for Old Men. They 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 have a shot there as well. So it's kind of kind of got a double yeah. whammy. But it was amazing, Jamie. If you've never been, got to go. As soon and I was thinking to myself, well, I wonder if I'm gonna like, how am I gonna know where everything was filmed? And I wonder if they sell like a map or something like that. Pulled into town, it was totally obvious. Oh my gosh, stop right there! This is where they had that one scene. Oh, hey, this is the park where they said this, and then the guy said that, and then they said that, and I'm just, I was a ridiculous dork the entire, <laughs> the entire weekend. <laughs> um, but the train station, you know, where they had the big fight at the end and everything, it was really, really yep. amazing. Did and your then, brother leave you there and you had just to come about. home on a Greyhound? <laughs> just about. <laughs> and it was even better. The night we pulled in, beautiful weather. Uh, it was a little cold. It was in the fall. And then it, it snowed like three or four inches. So the next day, woke up, boom, it was all covered in snow. So I got to see, you know, it, it, was, it was really So you put amazing. your camos on and went crawling around? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the whole town is, uh, they're still... They they love that movie. I mean, there are there are actually hundreds of movies shot in this little town, and they're in love. But they're a Red Dawn town. They're they in love with Red Dawn. They still talk about it. The locals. It's it's still you know for whatever reason some for some reason this movie just struck such a chord with so many people. So how many at this table have not seen the movie? Joe. Oh, Desi can didn't you, see it. Can you count bits and pieces? I don't think I've ever sat through the whole okay, thing. So I think two. I've seen a little bit of it. I've seen it, and you know what? Let me tell you this. That movie was the pinnacle, like, turning point for being a woman for me. I saw it as a little kid, but I was like, you know what? Jennifer Grey, whoever, yep. who, what was her name in the movie? Uh, Jennifer Grey. Yeah. Tony. Okay, yeah, yeah, Tony. She was a strong woman, and I was like, she she ponied up when yep. she needed to. She put her big panty, girl, big girl panties on, and she got the job done. So that's what I thought. I was like, you know what? I want to be like that, too. All right, Desi, you got homework. I'll be watching it tonight. Don't worry. I had a funny feeling. Yeah, it, well, there's a lot of family. I mean, so th- that was uh, Jennifer Gray from Dirty Dancing, and the yep. other uh, lady girl at the time was, uh, uh, what's her name from Back to the Future, <laughs> the mom? Leah oh, Thompson. Yeah, yeah. Leah, Leah Thompson, Thompson. And then Patrick Swayze and yep. and uh, Charlie Sheen and uh, C. C. Thomas Howell. C. Anyway. Thomas Howell. Got to watch it. That's everybody's homework assignment. Check out Red Dawn. Uh, excellent movie. Thanks Jamie, a lot, Jamie, thank you so much, man. So yeah, you're welcome. 
So does Charlie Sheen get drunk in that movie? <laughs> no, but Charlie Sheen, uh, he goes, actually, C. Thomas Howell gets real dark. Does real it? dark. It? Yeah, it affects him. All right, folks, that's the movie review of Gun Owners Radio FM 961 AM 1170. Wolverine! Oh, uh, uh, the answer! All right, folks, welcome back. You are listening to Gun Owners Radio FM 961. AM 1170. The answer. Like a lot of things the media says about guns, there are a lot of myths and misconceptions about P-80s and ghost guns. On the line is Richard Berwick from Cross Armory to set the record straight. But first, you know how some people grew up with hoppies and love smell. Other people aren't so crazy about smelling solvents and ammonias. So if you're the second group, Seal One is for you. Seal One CLP Plus is an all-in-one solution that cleans, lubricates, and protects your guns. It also smells a little bit like toothpaste. Put some up at or pick some up at Gunfighter Tactical over on Miramar Road or ask for it by name at your local gun shop. Clean your guns faster, better, and cleaner with Seal One. In fact, use code GOR25 for a 25% discount off your first order on their website at seal1.net. All right, on the line we have Richard Burbick from Cross Armory, one of my favorite guys in the uh, in the Second Amendment industry, especially here in beautiful San Diego, California. How you doing, Richard? Uh, I'm doing great, Michael. Dave, how are you? Excellent. I've, uh, I I, I got to confess though, I've been spending all my time watching golf today, not watching shooting. Yeah, uh, right. finds it mighty exciting. <laughs> well, it's a different kind of different kind of shooting. Well, it's, different kind it's, of shot, I guess. One I of the, say. Yeah, as one of the guys down at uh, Daniel Defense said to me one time when I invited him to play golf, he said, uh, "Well, I don't play uh, I don't play golf, but uh, I do shoot skeet, which is just like golf for, for shooters." <laughs> it really is. So, uh, Cross Armory. First, tell everybody what, what to, to give us your uh, your elevator speech on Cross Armory, which I'm a big fan of. You guys. Yeah, so we are uh, an engineering design firm, uh, and we launched initially. We launched a bunch of. AR compliance products for California when they change the law. Um, of course, uh, once uh, once the deadline for changing uh, passed, we, we had to find some other th- things to make. And uh, my my partner Wes is is a genius designer, and so we started making parts for uh, Glocks, aftermarket parts for Glocks, and uh, for P80s. And, and the P80 market is enormous, uh, and and the folks that like to build. Um, like to uh, like to use great products and and make their guns stand out. So that that's what we've been doing for the last couple of years. And Wes really um, is. You, and, you just said Wes is a genius. He really is. He's a really really uh, amazingly innovative designer. In fact, if I remember correctly, before before Cross Armory, he was designing like the Batmobile, right? Which, yeah, he, which he sounds did, funny, and, but that's what he was doing. <laughs> Yeah, he um, and, and the uh, Fast and Furious cars, from, like the last four Fast and Furious movies before we started this. So, you know, whatever the, the early teens of, of this decade or last decade, uh, he, he worked on Fast and Furious cars for four movies. Yeah. Uh, so tell us about P-80s. What, first off, what is a P-80? Talk to me like I'm five years old. Yeah, so P-80s were invented uh, by a company called Polymer 80. 
Uh, so, so that's actually the uh, the name of the company is Polymer 80. Uh, the P80 is just what the industry has shortened it to. Um, they uh, when when Glock's pistols, uh, which were the Gen 3 uh, Glock pistols, came off patent so that other people could copy them, uh, th- these guys were first out of the gate in coming up with making making molds for. A, a pistol frame that was in in almost every respect uh, the same as a Gen 3 Glock frame, hmm. and uh, and because uh, because the, the the Glock market owners of Glocks you know, already were changing things out on their on their Glock pistols, um, it it was relatively easy for them to slot themselves into that marketplace and give people another alternative. Um, uh, so I know Dave does a car show as well. I've said since I've been in this that gun guys uh, are a lot like car guys. They're always looking for something new, uh, something creative, something to make their gun a little bit more special. Yep. And, and P80 uh, completely opened up that market um, for, for this type of gun. And, and so Polymer 80, they're, they make most of the stuff in outside of Reno, uh, but they're, they're almost a virtual company, like management teams all over the place. Uh, the, the team doesn't sit in Reno. They just do, do their manufacturing there. And um, so P is Polymer. What, what Tell everybody, what, what does the 80 stand for? What, what indicate, I should say? Uh, well, like the, like the AR-15 market, um, it, if you are buying something that is – uh, not a complete registerable uh, receiver, or in the case of pistols, they call them generally frames. Um, it, it doesn't have a serial number on it, and you have to finish it yourself. So the 80s generally refers to uh, a frame or receiver that is 80% complete, and you need to finish the other 20%. So basically, they, the, the the federal government at one point said, "Hey, look, we have to figure out when a piece of metal or a piece of raw material is is considered a firearm." Um, and they decided, "Here's the criteria: as long as it's not more than eighty percent, it's still a piece of metal or polymer or, or, or wood or, or whatever." Or plastic, in the, yeah, in the case of uh, polymer eighty. Yeah. So French, yeah. so the eighty percent, as long as it's eighty percent or or less of a firearm, it's not a firearm. Um, therefore, it's you know it's like anything. It's like a, a chunk of, of like I said raw material. So so how do you measure that eighty percent? Is that eighty percent material? Eighty percent of labor? Eighty percent of doesn't sound like it's a measurable thing. Or weight? Yeah, I think uh, no. I, I I don't know that there is a specific measure that the government is using. They they, uh, they want it to be less than complete, uh, but you know, I think the the eighty percent pistol frames are more complete than uh, you know than the uh, than the eighty percent ARs. Um, so I mean, that's almost uh, an area that's more yours than mine, Michael. I'm I'm not really uh, sure how people determine it. They, well, they, there's a whole lot of legalese. Um, uh, attorneys have decided, hey, it's got to you know got to be able to drill it and this, and can't have that and that sort of thing. Um, it is fairly specific. How was it? It was determined as they got a bunch of, you know, noodle necks in a room. I and they, have the answer. Oh, 
We'll ask <laughs> Sam. Yeah, Sam. Sam might know. <laughs> Sam probably twenty bucks. Change today's question, <laughs> yeah. and we'll ask Sam at the last fifteen minutes. And twenty bucks says he'll tell you. You know, it's only a fifteen-minute segment, though, so I don't know well, if he'll that's be true. Too. <laughs> but don't have time because he'll, he'll explain it from from get go. Okay, so Richard, what is a common myth or, or misconception about a P eighty that you want to clear up? Um, well, I think that the the uninitiated um, and and you, uh, I think, mentioned the, the the press earlier. People that that know nothing about guns uh, and and don't aren't really too interested in knowing anything about guns. Um, uh, think that uh, you know you can get one of these things. There are no rules. You, you can do whatever you want, and uh, and nobody has any idea that you got it or what you're going to do with it. Um, and uh, and and they think think it's you know, very simple to do. I mean, you know, any child could do it. And and so I think that's the worst thing is that the 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 media. Uh, the the anti-gun crowd has branded uh, any of these 80 percenters, uh, the, the, whether they're P80s or, or ARs, um, as uh, as something evil. Um, and and you know the reality is is simply not that um, the, these guns are uh, overwhelmingly. I was going to say almost exclusively. There, there may be incidents I'm not aware of, but uh, they, they are craftsmen. Uh, and, you know, folks that like to build stuff, like to do stuff with their own hands. And, and this is an opportunity uh, to, to do that. And we've, you know, we, we know people uh, who have built a few of them. Um, you know, we've, we've looked at quite a, a number of them. And uh, it, it's not uh, it, it's not simple. And if you, if you don't drill a hole just right or you don't. Uh, cut down the excess material, you know, that 20% of the material you need to remove, uh, that gun doesn't work. And in fact, if you talk to most gun shops or gunsmiths, um, they, they, uh, they don't like working on 80 percenters that, that some guy has built in his house because, you know, people don't always get it right. And, uh, and you know, it's, it takes some talent and it takes some practice and it takes a great deal of diligence. So, uh, don't let anybody convince you that that these things uh, these things are you know all over the streets and uh, and people are being reckless with them. Well, and too many of the you know folks that are opposed to gun ownership in general, not just ghost guns or uh, you know P80s that sort of thing, uh, they make it sound like it's simply a matter of assembling parts, which it's not a matter of assembling parts. You're actually having to machine and build. It's it's like you said, very very complicated. And even if you do, you know whether you Build a gun or steal a gun or purchase a gun. If you are a prohibited person, if you're someone who's been convicted of a crime and you're no longer able to own a gun because you were, you know, did some kind of violent crime or whatever, doesn't matter how you obtain the gun, it's still illegal. So the other thing they try to do is make it sound like, hey, if they build the gun, that's totally legal. No, it's not. That's not true at all. So what what is your what, what's your interest in P80s? Do, does Cross Armory uh, deal with P80s a lot, or, or talk to us about that? Yeah, we we uh, don't typically sell the P80 frame kits um, ourselves. You know, our, our market, as I said earlier, you know, we're an engineering design firm. We make parts uh, that fit P80s, I and mean, it's specifically designed for your P80. 
so lower parts, get pins, uh, extended mag releases, slide locks. Uh, we make a trigger that fits the P80s, and then we're working on slides and barrels. So, so you will be able to get uh, all of your P80 parts from CrossArmory.com uh, or a, a whole bunch of other outlets. All right, Richard. Hey, great show. Thank you very much. We're going up to a hard break. CrossArmory.com. Check it out. Gun Owners Radio, FM 961, AM 1170. Welcome back to Hour 2 of Gun Owners Radio with your hosts, Dave Stahl, Joe Germisi, and Michael Schwartz. Visit GunOwnersRadio.com with your questions and comments or to learn how to become a sponsor of the show. Time to get involved and get active. Together, we will win. Now here's Dave, Joe, and Michael on The Answer San Diego. All right, folks. Welcome to Gun Owners Radio, FM 961 AM 1170. The Answer. All right. Next up, we're going to have Joe talk about governors standing up to the gun grabber-in-chief. But first... Self-defense and emergencies can happen to anyone, and there's no guarantee that the justice system will be on your side. Gun owners should have coverage for the legal battle after your self-defense battle. While you protect your family and property, U.S. Law Shield is here to defend you 24-7, 365 days a year with a comprehensive self-defense coverage at an affordable price. Bad guys don't take days off, and neither does our coverage. Guess what? Gun Owner Radio listeners, get a free T-shirt when you join. Use promo code GUNOWNERSRADIO at uslawshield.com. And if you're watching us on YouTube, please hit the like and subscribe button. And with that, Joe Germisi blog topic is... The Governor's Stand Up to the Gun Grabber-in-Chief is what the topic is. So um, talking about, you know, we have uh, probably the most anti-gun administration I think we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I know certainly in my lifetime. I don't know. I, I haven't been watching it as long as Michael has been, but... Uh, would you uh, agree with that, Michael? Yeah, or? I mean, it, it, certainly in the intentions. I mean, they haven't actually done much yet. Uh, you know, I mean, Clinton got the assault weapons ban passed, but uh, that's all, that's almost all he did. You that, know? Yeah, and that's so, what I was thinking. So if he gets what he wants done, then for sure. But it, we're just looking at the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, and that you know, and it's just, and it seems, uh, and I, I think the modern Democratic Party right now just seems to be. I don't know, steeped in hatred. It's like they, they hate the country, they hate the history, they hate the Constitution, they especially hate the Second Amendment, and they pretty much hate people that don't agree with them. And, um, you know, it's it's unfortunate that it's got that way, but, um, you know, finally people need to stand up to it, and finally the governors around the country are starting to stand up, which I think is a great sign. And, um, you know, when I was researching this, uh, I came across a, uh, a little video clip from Tucker Carlson, and it was about 15 minutes long, and it's like the best explanation of that, that anti-gun strategy or mentality, at least in the, in the political side anyway. 
And one of the things that, that Carlson talks about, and I linked to the uh, video in the article, and it's, it's definitely worth watching for 15 minutes, but he talks about um, how, you know, with, with normal political debate, you know, on almost any subject, there's, okay, you know, one side has their opinion, they feel one way, the other side feels a different way. But, you know, like on my side, if I disagree with something the other side's doing, I can kind of see their argument. I don't agree with it. I don't think it's correct, but I could kind of see it and understand it. And Carlson points out that with the gun control argument, that's not true. Virtually everything they say about guns and gun control is, is untrue. It's, they're lying, basically. And um, it's interesting. And he goes on and he shows a number of just clips and instances and things like that. But that, you know, really, that's, that's true. If you think about the things that, even out here with Governor Newsom, um, his reaction the other day to the, uh, the assault rifle uh, ruling. Right. The stuff he throws at, it's not true. And, and these people aren't stupid. I mean, you know, some of them are stupid, but, uh, you know, I mean, you, you could say a lot about Newsom or about Hillary Clinton. Um, but, I mean, they're not stupid people. They know they're lying to you. And the reason is, you know, if you think about this, and we've talked about this a bunch of times on here, and I've written about it before, but the point of gun control, it really has nothing to do with, with, with uh, increasing public safety or impeding criminals. It's all about power and control. And, um, you know, Carlson points this out, too. It's a, it's a very worthwhile um, video thing to, to look at. And like I said, I've linked to it in the article. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of things. Uh, there's the uh, Joe, Joe Biden or President Biden is doing a lot of stuff through executive order. You know, aside from the things they're trying to pass through the legislation, there's a lot of other things they want to do. Uh, with executive order. And finally, the governors are standing up, a number of governors around the country. Um, Governor Abbott in Texas, um, you know, has stood up. And I, I quote a number of things they say in here in the article. But, uh, you know, he was saying essentially that Biden's threatening the Second Amendment um, rights. He's making a liberal power grab is what he calls it. And he says they're not going to allow it in Texas. And he says it's time for the legislature there to make it a Second Amendment sanctuary state. Um, as has Mike uh, Dunleavy, uh, the governor in Alaska, has done the same thing. And, you know, we've talked about this out here, too. There's certain cities or some cities around the country have um, declared themselves a Second Amendment sanctuary. When a state does it, and it'll be interesting to see how this works out, um, because like out here in California, it's, ex it's exactly the same thing. What they're saying is a Second Amendment sanctuary state, and Missouri just passed a, uh, a bill, actually. The governor just signed a bill saying that they will not have uh, Missouri law enforcement will not assist um, federal officers in doing anything that they think is unconstitutional regarding uh, seizing guns or doing any anti-Second uh, Amendment stuff. And it's similar, you know, the idea that they did out here with uh, California, where California claims to be a sanctuary state in terms of illegals, and they actually would not cooperate with the feds. They would not cooperate with ICE. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, how this idea is applied with the Second Amendment and see what the reaction is. Because the threat, they've already threatened Missouri um, with the DOJ has uh, sent or has informed Missouri that, you know, there's going to be consequences or there. They basically threatened them uh, if they go forward with this law. And the uh, attorney general and the governor of Missouri sent a letter back to them saying, we're going to fight tooth and nail to defend this stuff. And you're not going to come here and deprive people of their rights. So you started going down a path there where you you said, you know, the difference between a state doing it and a city doing it, um, the big difference between a state and a city doing it is a state will actually say, hey, our law enforcement, you know, it's it's a real 
policy with teeth. We're not going to support it. There, there, we were, there's actual um, consequences. Whereas if a city or a county does it, uh, at least in California, um, it, it actually is really just a, a, a statement made. It doesn't mean that, like, for example, Needles was the first city right, in, right. in California. That doesn't mean you can go have, have a, uh, you know, take all your compliance parts off your AR and Needles. That doesn't mean that. Um, it, it doesn't actually have the weight of law. It's just a statement. No. When a state does it, though, they're doing things like saying, hey, our law enforcement officers across the state are not going to enforce these. And that's a, an enormously important difference. Yeah, and it, and that doesn't stop the feds if the feds want to send their own people in and try to enforce this stuff. I mean, it doesn't stop the feds from doing that. And the states probably aren't saying that they're going to stop them. What they are going to do is not cooperate. Right. So, okay, yeah, your feds could come in. They're going to have to start from scratch. They're not going to have access to any, you know, local information or intelligence Isn't or any that, of that like kind of stuff. like a sanctuary city or a sanctuary state? Yeah, that's what they're talking about. That's, but I'm saying a sanctuary city and a sanctuary state, not to protect your gun rights, but to take, you know, all the, the, the law enforcement out like they've done in Oregon and Washington. Yeah, and I think that might be a different um, approach to it because, uh, you know, those states up there, they're going to have their own problems with that as they're finding out now you think? With, uh, you know, with, with doing that with the law enforcement. But it's interesting that the states are, are standing up. And the, uh, the governor of Iowa, Kim Reynolds, said the same thing. Uh, Christy Nome out in South Dakota is uh, one of the other ones, Governor Brad Little in Idaho. So this is good that these uh, governors are standing up. The, uh, the governor of Wyoming, the same kind of thing. And because I think that's, you know, it really is kind of a war. You know, we've been calling it a culture war for a while. But, I mean, it really is. These people really, really do not like this country. And they really do want to tear this down and replace it with something else, the people that, are sent, that seem to be in power right now. And uh, I think that's different than how it, it always used to be. There always used to be differences between, you know, one party or the other, conservatives and liberals. But I think before, at least both sides wanted the, wanted the country to prosper. They just had different ideas about how that works or how that looks. And I don't think that's true right now. So um, I think that's a, a very different thing. And um, there was actually a police chief, by the way, in, in a little town called O'Fallon, Missouri. The police chief left the department because he was no longer allowed to arrest people for <laughs> Second Amendment violations. So he said, I'm out of here. So... Why not? Well, I mean, no sense yeah, working beat it. you're not. Yeah. <laughs> Simple. All right, folks. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. And don't forget, Melissa Lee's coming up next with her gear review. This is Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1, AM 1170. The answer. Ah. Welcome back to Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1, AM 1170. The answer. We're about to see a gear review from Melissa Lee. You're going to want to see this. This review is bananas. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, out there, you YouTubers. J-Dub, Rick Cohen, AKs are better, and Ghost Hammer. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, PRMI Mortgage, primeres.com slash alpine. Are you in the military? Are you looking for help for a VA loan? And if you're looking to buy or refi, or if you're just considering a reverse mortgage, call our local mortgage guy that you can trust. Call Chris Wiley at PRMI Mortgage. For nearly 25 years, Chris has been helping local San Diegans with all their mortgage needs. 
call Chris Wiley at 619-722-1303 or just go to primeres.com slash alpine. All right, Melissa, what do you got? Um, I have a really cool gear review. We're going to once again go back to 3V Gear. Um, 3V Gear is a company that does really high-quality backpacks, EDC bags, um, gun gun cases. Um, so, And they're also coming out with knives, too. So um, this, I've been working with this company for like a month now, and great products. Love it. So today here we have the Privy Personal Essentials EDC case. Um, it's kind of like a mini messenger bag and two handles, a strap. And Joe, I'm going to let you go through that and kind of take a look at that and tell me what you think about that. Okay. So we'll be opening this thing up here. So uh, the first thing actually I noticed before, the strap is pretty long. So you could actually put this around your neck and carry it on the other side. So it's not just looped on your shoulder. Right. Which, again, if you're going to carry, you know, off-body, I'm not a big fan of off-body, mm-hmm. but with this, it looks like it's long enough to where I could loop this over the right shoulder. It's on my left side. Yeah, it's like, kind of like a sling. Like so that, yeah, it can't be easily body. grabbed from right. you. So I think that's a good uh, a good aspect of this. Because some of these bags, I notice, have a shorter, and I think, as a woman, would you normally carry it that way? Or when you carry uh, things with bags? Personally, no. Or? I would never carry a purse or carry off-person, like, and not have it crossbody because if someone's going to steal my purse, mm-hmm. they're going to have to take me with them. But if there wasn't a firearm in there, if it was just a purse to, like to make you look cool, would you carry that no, all just on one shoulder? Care, you know, you, or is that like Joe, an old person? No, this is me you're talking to. <laughs> I use range bags for purses. Okay. Ah, okay, so. okay. <laughs> Michael, how would you carry your purse if you if you had a man bag? Oh yeah, that's right. Would you Michael, carry it on one shoulder? How do you carry or? your purse? I uh, both. Yeah, I carry it with just one, and then I kind of hold hold it tight. I actually do that with my with my with my man bag, my current man bag, but I've had a couple different versions. <laughs> but if I'm walking, so if I'm walking from the car to wherever I'm going, it's just over like one shoulder, you know? But if I'm going, if I'm really like, you know, if I got to walk any sketchy further sketchy out there or something? Yeah, I'll do it over the opposite <laughs> shoulder. Okay. So if we, and when these guys, I didn't mention that too, there's locking zippers on this you were saying, right? Okay, so, so yes. So you this, can lock these? Yes, you can actually carry a firearm in here. And what's nice about this, you have to have a, if you transport a firearm, you have to have it in a locked container. This so is a, local, a lockable right container. There. Yes. So a, um, a lock would, a luggage lock will go through that easily. Does a luggage lock, is that acceptable for yeah, a lockable? Yeah, I use it. That's what I use. I hope it's acceptable. Yeah. Oh, nice say gun. What kind of lock. I know. Don't you like my gun? It's so, bananas, Michael. It's yeah. bananas. Is that a single stack banana? Or yes. A? It's going to be after. Look at how bruised it is. I've What's been, the like, ma- how, many, how big is the magazine? <laughs> this is my M- M&P shield. Um, so that actually is a single stack. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, ish. Kind of. No, kind of. Yeah. Okay. So we're yeah. going to go through here. There's a, an insert that goes on here, right? Yes. So to simulate a gun, because we all get shut down. No, we, we all don't. You do. <sighs> That's I'm right. sorry, Dave. That I didn't mean to do you that. Got us on the So now list. I got to use. I can't even use a blue gun, folks. I have to use a banana from now on. That's so because that that rapidly rotting banana is less dangerous than a blue piece of plastic. We're exactly. probably going to get in trouble for bringing a rotten banana. <laughs> you know, let me know, and you I'm sorry. Have a bright banana, yellow. <sighs> you guys are making it really difficult for me to do my job. So, um, <laughs> so they have um, Velcro holsters that you can actually buy separately. So I, I was sent one. This oh. is excellent. This actually did not come from them. This is Vertex. But um, I had an extra one, so I wanted to show um, the magazine fits in there. This on this side is 
pens, whatever you want. And what is there a loop here for a tactical pen? Oh, yeah, a tactical pen <laughs> or that tactical Sharpie. Um, this pouch right here fits, you know, eight, eight, eight and a half by 11 paper and my iPad easily. So that fits in there. And what's nice is that if I'm not going to be carrying, if I'm not going to be carrying a gun in this case, it actually has this admin pan panel that Velcros right to it. So I've kind of stacked it up just to show you guys how much stuff this can hold. So here's a loop back here, but it also has a smaller loop in front or mollies in front. So that actually holds quite a bit of stuff, which I love. So this can actually Velcro to the inside if you do not do not have your holster in here. Okay. And did I see another compartment on the outside? Yes. Go ahead. Check it out. So let's see. So that is here. Is that what that is? Mm-hmm. So there's like a little pouch on the outside that's Velcro. It comes with this patch. It's a 3V gear patch. The three Vs are, it's a Veni, Vidi, Vici, which means I saw, I came, I conquered. Ah. Uh -huh. Yeah. In Latin. And so I put, do you know what that, that's from? Do you know that symbol? Is that from the bug, uh, the assault uh, fly thing that I did last year? <laughs> Haley Strategic. I went to Haley Strategic ah, okay. out in Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's their company, Little Patch. Looks like the assault gun. Doesn't it? The assault gun <laughs> and then I went to, um, a couple weeks ago, I went to um, CZ Customs to drop off my gun for some like, ah. an overhaul. And so I got this little patch. Yeah, oh, cool. It's a CZ gun. Now, is this, pa this pouch out here, I know it Velcros, so it feels like it's secure. Could you put a holster in here and a gun? Would it carry that? Or could you get to it? Um, holster for magazine, yes. Gun, I pr probably no, not. No. Okay, because I thought I could feel a Velcro. I think there's a Velcro pad in here. Is there not? Oh, I maybe there isn't. So. No, no. there isn't. No. So you'd be stuck with a sticky holster or something like that. Or you'd have to clip the holster it. onto the outside, but obviously it would stick out. And then okay. there, if you turn it over, there's also room, too, on the back end of this. Okay. Mollies. Lots of mollies. So you can attach all your stuff that you need to, you know, attach. Molly bags. Anything. Really anything. And another zippered pouch. What I do like about this um, bag is that it has a quick-release zipper. Or okay. a quick zipper. So this is super easy to grab and just rip right open. So could you conceivably, if you were carrying this way, could you get to that firearm in there in a reasonable amount of time if you needed to, if you were carrying you'd it like to, that? You'd, you'd have to. I tried. Uh -huh. I was trying with my real gun. And I was trying. This is why the banana is dying, because I tried with a banana. You didn't <laughs> but, have one of those dangerous blue guns? Right. No, I don't. I need to Probably borrow too, yours. Too dangerous to do that. But it's kind of, it, it, it takes some practice. Mm -hmm. But with anything, it takes practice to be able to draw fast and then yeah. present. So that's really not the intent then of this bag. This this bag is more of a transport or a carry type bag than the intent's not to be able to get to it quickly. I would say so. Or very I, quickly. I personally would not use this for mm -hmm. this is my concealed carry bag. Ah. I would use it for more transport, and that's why I like the lockable zippers on that. So if I'm going to be bare bones minimum, I'm going to go to the range. I can put in my firearm, lock it in there, you know, and bring a, a box of ammo, and I'm ready to go. Yeah, and the lock is good because I guess the way the law is written, too, they don't specify a locked container as needing to be a hard container or a soft container. No. Nope. Because um, with my, my range bag is, is this kind of thing. It's a little bit heavier, but, I mean, it's because uh, it's bigger. But, I mean, it's, you know, it's that heavy canvas material, mm -hmm. and it's the same thing. I lock 
I lock both of the uh, the zippers together, the zippered containers where my firearms are, uh-huh. and and that should be fine. I mean that that follows the letter of the law, and uh, and it works really well. I know, uh, you know, I can't get into it. I, I would need tools to get into it. I can't rip that thing open. So uh, and it works really well. I like the uh, the soft containers. I think work a little bit better maybe than uh, the hard boxes. The hard boxes, don't you think that they're just so bulky? Uh, that's, they're heavy. That's my thing. I mean, my my range bag now is big and heavy and bulky too, but. But it didn't start out that way. <laughs> yeah. And it, it seemed like it would be better uh, than the hard cases. But. Well, next time I come on, I'm going to actually get a um, soft case, a gun case. And maybe I'll have you test it out with some ARs or something and see how you like it. Okay. Yeah. So Always I'll make sure to, to get that. one of those. Yeah. So we can do that. So this comes with a limited lifetime warranty. Retails for it's really reasonable, thirty two ninety five. Oh, that's for this. a great price for that's that. That's a really good price. Yeah. So this could go with you to the office, to the range, whatever, and you can get yours at three vgear.com. That's three v as in Victor gear.com. If you want to save some monies, use code Mel fifteen to save fifteen percent off your entire purchase. Are they local? Three V? No. Banana sold separately. Banana sold separately. All right, I'm just checking. Yeah. I think it's important to clarify. Yeah, I'm sorry. Did you people want out there banana? thinking they're going to get a banana? They're not going to get a banana. <laughs> they don't want this kind of banana anyway. This banana has been is, used. Yeah, it's 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 pretty sad. It's a sad. Yeah, I don't banana. think I've seen a banana that sad. Yeah, but in its day, you'd have envied that banana. Well, probably so. But you know what? I had to. I don't use usually it. have banana envy, but <laughs> yes, you do. You would have if you'd have seen that one. <laughs> All right. All right, so 3vgear.com. Use code MEL15 to save 15% off your purchase. And this is the Privy Personal Essentials EDC case. Cool. Very cool. All right, folks. Hey, don't touch that dial because we're getting real close. Desi from Not Me SD is going to give us 10 lessons learned, I guess, through a webinar with Steph Wiedner. Widener. Which, yep. Widener. yep. She's from Active Self Protection. Oh, yeah. She's yeah, going to yeah. host, in a couple of weeks here, she's going to host a uh, uh, a webinar called 10 Lessons Learned because they have reviewed something like 30,000 uh, defensive gun use uh, videos. So uh, she's going to, for the Not Me folks, because Desi runs Not Me SD, she's going to uh, do the webinar for us for yeah, free. That should be great, too, because I, you know, I always recommend those guys. When I do the, uh, the CCW seminars, and even when we're teaching the classes, you know, I always recommend active self-protection. That, that is such great education. It's it's completely free, and uh, you know John and his crew do such a just just a great job analyzing the crime videos and things like that. It's uh, it's just just great information. Well, Steph's been there. She's the CEO and uh, she's an instructor. And it's actually twenty-one lessons learned, but for that's like an We're eight hour. It's like eight, yeah. So we can really only fit in ten. Ten of the best. So Des is going to interview her next. So don't touch that dial right here on FM 96.1 AM 1170. The answer. Hi, folks. Welcome back to Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1 AM 1170. The answer. Hey, before you carry a gun, you should know that mindset is an even more powerful tool for self-defense in study uh, in study in studio is not me program manager Desi Bergman and Steph Widener to, to talk about an upcoming webinar 
just for women. It's yours, kiddo. It's mine. Well, thank you, Dave, for having me today. My pleasure. On the phone, we have Steph with Active Self Protection. She is the CEO and Chief Executive Officer. Hi, Steph. How are you? I'm good, Desiree. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for joining us this evening. Oh, of course. I'm always happy to be here and talk about this stuff. Perfect. Well, Steph, why don't you give us a little bit of background about yourself and active self-protection? Just give us a little bit of background. Absolutely. I started working with active self-protection in about 2014. At that time, we were kind of just a Facebook page, and we were analyzing uh, self-defense encounters. We were People were just starting to get a large library of these on security cameras, uh, closed-circuit TV, badge cameras, all these sorts of things that really didn't exist too much before the mid-2000s. Um, so this was kind of a new thing. And we were looking at them, analyzing them, and at that time just kind of posting them on the Facebook page. That grew and morphed until now we are a YouTube channel, and actually, well, actually two YouTube channels. One of them, uh, we analyze a self-defense encounter every single day and post the video and a breakdown of it. And the second one, we do a whole mindset channel, uh, legal lessons learned, uh, sh- different shooting lessons, dry fire lessons, classes that we've taken, guests, all kinds of things. Um, so one's kind of a, a after-action channel and one is kind of a mindset channel. Oh, that's awesome. And Steph, I love your guys' content. I mean, I know John Korea and your husband were actually out here a couple months ago where they did a big class for all of the San Diegans that wanted to attend. And we did a yes. 21 lessons or 10 lessons learned for the general audience a couple months ago. So why don't you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit, stuff about what you're going to be putting on for the ladies, you know, of Not Me SD and what the difference really is between the two seminars? Absolutely. The 21 lessons learned, which is kind of a misnomer because uh, <laughs> there's only 10. How many we can get through, <laughs> right? Right. Well, and actually, there's actually dozens and dozens of them, but we try to start with the most important ones and get through however many we can. Um, That is kind of the sister presentation to the one that I will do. It's the one we've been doing the longest. And the reason we started doing that is because we started realizing as we were watching these encounters and breakdowns that the same things were happening over and over. And there were these principles forming. And, of course, we all know that our training budgets are limited, whether that's your time budget, your money budget. It's limited for everyone. My ammo budget. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, and it may be a different budget for everyone, but we all are limited in the time and money and resources we can spend on our training. And so it became really important to us to share these principles so people could better inform their training. Make sure you were training for things that were actually likely to happen rather than worried about unicorns and, and things like that, that you would, you'd be better served focusing on these main principles. So that is where we started. And after watching and analyzing 30,000 different encounters at this point, we've seen the same principles over and over again. Uh, at some point, it started occurring to us that we kind of wanted to do something that was focused more towards women. In some ways, the violence is violence, and the same uh, the same principles that we talk about in the main seminar would, seminar would apply to women as well. Uh, but there were some additional and extra things that I thought were important. So we put that together in a presentation to talk about, and, and I think it gives some really good information. Awesome. So, Steph, now when we talk about the seminar that's coming up, we're, we're not going to be doing gun training, right? Like, you're not going to teach us to go to the range. You're not going to teach us to fire. But you're nope. really focused on with the seminar, though, is really talking about the emotional aspect of, like, the self-defense scenarios, Correct. Absolutely. There is, I mean, there's several different lessons from, a, from 
several different kind of veins and thoughts to prepare yourself. The, I mean, it's definitely a mindset thing. And emotional fitness is one of the main things that I come back to over and over again. And we come at it from several different avenues. It's just, we, I find that that's really the foundation. And it's probably the foundation for men and women. But I really think it's something that can benefit women is the emotional fitness aspect. Can you tell us what emotional fitness is, Steph, for those of our audience that wouldn't know what that is? What do you define emotional, you know, that as? A couple of different ways, but the main thing is is radical acceptance of, of reality. And that can be the radical acceptance of the situation that you're in. Radical acceptance of who you are as a person. Radical acceptance of what is happening to you right now. If you were in a defensive encounter. So a lot of people will kind of freeze up and start, why is this happening to me? I don't understand why this person is doing this. This doesn't make sense to me. And it doesn't, and also that doesn't matter. Wasting time and emotion, and again, those limited resources on trying to figure out why doesn't help you in that moment. So just a radical acceptance of what is happening, the reality, who you are, can really get you um, on the right foot towards effectively defending yourself. Yeah, no, that's great stuff. And as you know, with Not Me SD, I mean, this is a program that's very near and dear to my heart. You and I have really talked about this before because we really help women that have been victims of domestic violence and sexual assault, right, arm themselves Mm -hmm. with the tools to protect themselves, right? So, I mean, Not Me focuses on the firearms. We help them get training. We help them get their CCW, right? Like, we help them pick out a gun. But that's all Mm kind of like the physical aspect of it, right, because we're teaching them about firearms and firearm ownership. This is kind of mm-hmm. the other component now where we're really working on the mental aspect of, you know, how do you protect yourself? Yes. And I think the tools are a hugely important aspect from the, from the point of view that women in general and stereotypically pound for pound are smaller and weaker than the people that are likely to be victimizing us. And what you need to do is, like we talked about a moment ago, is radically accept that. And tools can be a great way to... Um, to really exponentially help you uh, and, and even the playing field, so to speak. But even more important than that is I really think the emotional mindset, the keys are key, the preparedness, and a hugely important piece to me is accepting that you are a human being of great value and dignity and worth protecting and defending. And that sometimes is one of the more difficult lessons for women to accept and internalize and uh, be willing to defend themselves simply because they are worthy of being defended. You know, and I I love how, well, I don't love this, but, you know, sometimes women can be a little more delicate than men. Like what you just said in situations Mm -hmm. where, say, a woman is being attacked, where it's a 100-pound woman compared to, like, a 200-pound man, like, that's almost, Mm -hmm. it's not a fair fight, right? So a woman has to know how to protect herself and to help her get out of these scenarios. And there could be a lot of different things that can happen. But, you know, a lot of these videos where I see women are freezing up, right, because they don't know what to do because they've never been trained as to what to do in these scenarios, right? Like they don't have the mental training, they don't have the physical training. So, I mean, how do you teach someone that if they are in a situation like that to get out of it? I think a little bit what we talked about earlier, just that radical acceptance, this is happening and no one is going to get me out of this but me can be a huge jump in that. The other thing is your brain needs to be able to look at something and, and make a little bit of sense of it so it can have a direction. So if you've never... And that's where training comes in that's so important, because if you've never seen this before, I don't understand this that I'm being presented with right now. My brain doesn't know what to do. So I'm spending a lot of time looking for a file in my brain that is not there. 
Whereas if you, so I think that's like why our videos are so important that we put out every day to look at it and say, okay, my brain has seen this before. I understand some of what is happening. I have some options here and some choices that I can make rather than just drawing a blank because this is so completely out of your, um, you know, experience. No, of course. And Steph, since we're talking about your YouTube channel, what is your YouTube channel Mm -hmm. that if anyone in our audience wanted to go, you know, check it out and look at these videos that you're talking about, what is your YouTube channel? Absolutely. The bigger one is called Active Self-Protection, you know, super creatively named after our company. <laughs> Easy enough. And that is the one that, yeah, that's the one that we post every day, just a, a breakdown of a defensive encounter. The second one is Active Self-Protection Extra, and that's our training and mindset channel. And there are tons of free resources there. I mean, classes that we paid hundreds of dollars to attend and travel and everything else that, that are there for you to attend virtually for free. Um, I think it's a fantastic resource, and I really think that is a great way to start building those files in your brain so that you can start making decisions about what real violence looks like and what are effective strategies to deal with it. Awesome. And speaking of free seminars, we have our seminar that you're going to be you know, conducting for us, and it's going to be on July 1st at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. If any of the ladies mm-hmm. in the audience you know, want to tune in and register for it, if you just go to our Not Me SD Facebook page, you can find the link on there with the event with all of the details. And speaking mm-hmm. of detail, Steph, do you want to give us a little teaser about, you know, maybe something that we're going to learn on the seminar? Absolutely. I think uh, it, this is going to fit right in with what your mission is. We, we spent a great deal of time talking about that emotional fitness and how to do that and really how to find that uh, the value in you yourself and make sure that you understand that you're worthy of being protected and defended, but also some actual actionable strategies that you can take um, to really better defend your boundaries. And, and, uh, and also as women, I I find like over and over again, we see women end up in the self-defense industry because of something that has happened to them in their recent past or uh, that they're worried about something that's going to happen. And so they're really open to learning how to deal with it. And I think it's really something important that we can learn now and, and to pass on to our larger female community, our daughters, our sisters, whoever that is, to help them better protect and defend themselves. And hopefully with some, with a really well-prepared mindset, sometimes you can avoid the problems right from the beginning. And if we can help show and teach those women that we love that, that's a huge win in my book. You know, I agree. And I've definitely invited, like, you know, my mom, my aunts, my sisters to come and attend the seminar because, as you said, like, you want everybody in your life to be protected. And if you can learn right. one key component, you know, from the seminar, it's going to make a world of difference. Absolutely. And like you say, even if not everybody is someone that's interested in carrying a gun, and I would never say that everybody should be. I mean, to me, personal freedom and, and choices and responsibility are hugely important. So it's important to me to provide a lot of ideas and strategies and, and ways to think and see about things, regardless of where you're at on that um, on that particular issue. So I think it's something that everybody can come away with, um, you know, whether you're a self-defender now or whether you are absolutely not, but just go on and kind of find out what this is all about. Well, and of course, like we, you and I both know that guns can be really scary, especially for like a first-time gun owner, right? So almost starting yep. with the basics and kind of breaking it down before you even you know, have them hold a firearm can almost make it that much less scary for a first time gun owner and for someone that's looking to protect themselves. But, you know, a lot of women come to us from not me that have been, you know, victims of domestic violence or sexual assault. And so they're really coming to us because they've been in a situation where they couldn't protect themselves. And so now they're trying to find another way to, you know, kind of move forward. Right. And so 
with not, mm-hmm. I mean, we've, we've kind of expanded on some of these physical parts that what you're talking about to where Bill DC did a pepper spray and situational awareness class for the ladies a couple of weeks ago, which was awesome. Uh-huh. So the girls learned how mm-hmm. to use pepper spray, which was great. Um, we've been using, mm-hmm. you know, Krav Maga as another form of self-defense, you know, so we're mm-hmm. definitely still focusing on the firearms, but we're kind of helping promote other options of self-defense which I think has been Mm -hmm. really impactful for the girls and everybody's really liking kind of like the diversity and adding this in the seminar it's kind of we're hitting all components of the physical and now the emotional aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah and the emotional aspect is huge and something we're going to spend a lot of time going into it's a real passion of mine. Well thank you so much Steph for joining us today I do appreciate it I look forward to the seminar in a week and a half so again ladies if you want to join us go to our Not Me SD Facebook page find the link and we'll see you there thanks Steph. Very Thanks good. Thanks, you then. All right, National Concealed Carry Association. We are proud to partner with the National Concealed Carry Association as a 10-ring partner. NCCA exists to serve the Second Amendment community by providing a nationwide network of 2A advocates, offer elite self-defense concealed carry training for the nation's top instructors, and provide rock-bottom prices on the, bottom, uh, on the best selection of gear and accessories. Up next, Sam the Gunman, or Stamp Stump My Nephew. And another mic drop. You can't hear it if you're not listening. Stay tuned. This is Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1, AM 1170. The answer. All right, folks. Welcome back to Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1, AM 1170. The answer. Hey, we live in a state where your self-defense rights are under attack. Let us be your voice to help defend and restore the Second Amendment. Help spread the word about the fight. And there's two easy things that you can do. One, like and subscribe to the show on YouTube, Facebook, Spotify, Parlor, the podcast, or whatever way you like to listen to the show. We're making a push for 1,000 subscribers, and we're almost there. So if you haven't already, please subscribe on our YouTube channel. Share the show with as many friends as you can. And thanks for tuning in. And remember, together we will win. All right, Sam is my nephew. And if you send us a question and we use it on the air, we'll send you a hat or a shirt. And if you stump my nephew, um, you're going to get a lifetime of free training through FrontSight. You're going to get a FrontSight membership. Uh, Sam does not hear these questions in advance. He First time he hears them is right here on the air. So without further ado, Sam, you there? Yeah, how are you guys? Fantastic. Melissa's got a question for you. Hey, Sam. Hi, how are you? Good. Um, so Lucas from Mission Hills asks, what, what's unique about the Russian TP-82? Um, let me point out a couple of things. First of all, um, I've never heard of Mission Hill, but I don't live out there. So for all I know, you guys could be just making up place names and I wouldn't know the difference. <laughs> that actually, it is a, a place yeah. called Mission Hills. That's a real okay, place. Okay, it is a real place. I'll yes. take your word for it. We would never do that to you, Sam. Um, second, I think that the, the question might be a typo. Uh, if I think it's probably asking about the DP-28. Is that? What's the DP-28? Um, it's a, a Russian light machine gun from as the name would suggest, the late 1920s. It was used during the Second World War. No, nope, this is actually, it's a TP-82. Oh, TP-82. I misheard you. I thought you said D as in Delta. It's nope. T no. as in T Tango. As in Tom. Okay. Tango, yeah, Papa, T-82, The cosmonaut gun. I've heard of this. Oh, there he <laughs> goes. <laughs> this was, uh, it was taken, um, 
Well, let me back up a little bit. Um, it's it's sort of a, a, a well-known pop culture factoid that uh, Russian, Soviet and Russian cosmonauts have taken guns to space. Ha-ha, <laughs> funny. The reason they do that is because um, a, uh, a crew landed thousands of kilometers off of where the, the spacecraft was supposed to come down back in, I think, the 70s. And um, they had to fight off wolves with um, limited weaponry. So from then on, um, Soviet uh, space flights carried along the TP-82, which is a specially made double-barrel shotgun with a single rifle barrel underneath. Uh, so it had uh, a wide variety of different ammunition available. Of course, shotguns are great for defense against wild animals, and having that rifle barrel allowed them to hunt for small game to sustain themselves should they land off course again. And it actually had a detachable shoulder stock that doubled as a hatchet. How cool is that? We didn't. They didn't write in about the hatchet part. That's that's, that's even. What a Father's Day gift. <laughs> Yeah, well, we have photos of it. The the shoulder stock you can use to cut things is, um, in my opinion, probably one of the coolest aspects. I remember there was another. I think there was an infomercial in the '80s that would come on right around midnight that advertised that. Yeah. Had a compass in the stock, and this yeah. thing which tells time. Do you going to ask him the <laughs> other question? No, actually. Well, all right, real quick. So, how do they determine? And an eight. By the way, you got that right. Ding ding. So uh, we had a question. We had a question early on, 80% uh, lowers or 80% fire, well, not firearms, but, uh, you know, the 80 percenters, the T uh, or the P80s. How do they determine what is 80% of a, of a, of a firearm or of a gun? How is that determined? Um, don't ask too many questions. Uh, the 80% the, the receiver, 80% frame, 80% firearm thing um, is it's it's a a receiver or frame which is legally defined as the firearm which has not which has not had all of the milling operations completed it's had them 80% completed but, but how do they how did they how do they determine what 80% is is there is it actually spelled out in a manual somewhere did, did a, I I made the assertion that a bunch of uh, eggheads sat down and then describe okay, this work. what happened. I don't, I don't know the actual regulatory guidelines that they use internally at the bureau, but given that it's given that the cutoff is eighty percent, and that's as far as I'm aware, not enshrined in any law anywhere. Um, the the bureau made a determination, kind of arbitrarily, as they often do, because they have so much leeway in interpreting the, the laws on the books. They said, okay, well, it's not a firearm if it's 80% or less completed. Yeah. And then they just sort of probably have made up internal guidelines as to what is 80%. Yeah, You'd I have to ask that. an ATF agent. Yeah, I, I, think, I can tell you for I think sure. ATF and DOJ actually describe it in a yeah. bunch of paperwork. Anyway, awesome job, awesome, Sam. Awesome, awesome, Fantastic. Go, uh, go be nice to your dad on Father's Day. Okay, thanks very much for having me on. Happy Father's Day, everyone. Thanks, buddy. All right, now it is time for this week's Mic Drop. U.S. House Resolution 8 is a bill making its way through Congress. Basically, it's a universal background check. The name of the bill is the Bipartisan Background Checks Act of 2021. No joke. They actually put bipartisan in the name of the bill before it was even introduced. That is propaganda, folks, pure and simple. If passed, H.R. 8 will basically spread California's mess of a background check system to the other 49 states. With few exceptions, all transfers of ownership of firearms 
will have to go through an FFL and a background check. Scientific studies have shown that the universal background check system that California has in place has no real or significant impact on preventing crime. Yes, you heard that right. When subjected to this thing called science, it turns out that if you force law-abiding gun owners to go through background checks before they sell a gun to a law-abiding gun owner, criminals still commit crimes. The County Board of Supervisors in San Diego decided to vote on a resolution in favor of H.R. 8. Jim Desmond and Joel Anderson voted against it, and both were vocal about how silly it was that they were even voting on it, let alone that H.R. 8 was being proposed at all, and we thank them both for that. But newly elected wacko extremist Tara Lawson-Reamer voted for it and took some time to say some stupid crap about it afterwards. Thank you, Tara. Side note. I've tried to meet with Tara before and after the election, but she won't meet with me. I don't know why. Wait, yeah, I do. Because she's a wacko extremist who somehow slipped into an elected office. I digress. Tara said that she voted for the resolution to support H.R. 8 because of the impact of mass shootings on the black, indigenous, and on people of color. Then she went on to say that 70% of homicide victims in big cities are black. She also went on to say, blobbity, blobbity, crap, crap, who cares? Let's take a minute to talk about just how stupid just those two fractions of statements are. Number one, she voted for 49 other states to adopt universal background checks when scientific studies show that universal background checks do not and have not prevented crime in any significant way in the state where she lives. She might as well have said she voted for H.R. 8 because blueberries are delicious. There is no connection, and her attempt to conflate the two issues is total propaganda. It's not truth, and it's not leadership. It's lies, pure and simple. Number two, stupid thing, she said she voted for the resolution because of the impact of mass shootings on the black, indigenous, and people of, and on people of color, then tied that statement to, quote, 70% of homicides in big cities are black. Her lies are so intertwined, it's hard to know where to start, so let's start with her implication, which is false, the majority of victims who have been killed in mass shootings are not people of color. That is a lie. The vast majority of victims in the United States who were killed in what the FBI considers a mass shooting were Caucasian. In fact, it's not even close. It's something like 95% of victims in mass shootings since the beginning of time were white. But if you listen closely, that isn't exactly what she said. She said there was an impact, but then did not go in to describe exactly what that impact is. Maybe she just meant that they were really sad about it. That's an impact. That makes sense. We're all sad about the victims of violent, excuse me, violent crime. But her implication was that blacks, people of color, and indigenous communities are a large percentage of the victims in mass shootings. She went on to say that 70% of homicide victims in big cities are black. Okay, homicide victims. There are a lot of tools used in homicides. She didn't actually say shooting victims and not all homicides involve guns. She was trying to mislead you. Knives, fists, pipes, bats, clubs, etc., 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 all used in homicides. And if you only look at homicides of people in large cities, then yes, you will find a lot of them are black because most large cities have large populations of black residents. If you look at homicide victims from, say, Japan, you'll find that most of them are Japanese. But that does not mean there is a bias against the Japanese community in Japan. Yes, it's the same thing, dummy. These are the twisted lies politicians tell, and Tara Lawson-Reamer is both a politician and twisted. 
Now, is anything she said false? On the surface, no, but the implication she used and the conclusion she draws, well, it's just a lie. More gun laws, especially more background checks, will not stop people of color from being victims of crime. Again, my example about blueberries, they are delicious, that's true, but it has nothing to do with background checks. If you argue with me that blueberries are not delicious, it doesn't make you pro-murder. It just makes you weird for not liking blueberries. Again, one does not have to do with the other no matter how many times you say it, no matter how many statistics you quote. In fact, gun laws are disproportionately used against people of color to prosecute them, search their home, person, or vehicle, and extend their sentences once they are convicted. Mark Twain's famous quote, there are lies, excuse me, there are three times, three kinds of lies, lies, damned lies, and statistics. Tara Lawson Raymer used all three in her explanation of HR. She's a liar, a damned liar, and statistically wrong. But fortunately, the media caught her in this lie and pushed back on her so hard they she simply could not get away with it. Nah, just kidding. They published her statement without question and then let her get away with it and didn't offer an ounce of resistance. This, of course, is Father's Day, not April's Fools. That's your mic drop. Mic drop. All right, if you're listening on YouTube on the podcast, hit like and subscribe and share the show with all your friends. And please support all our sponsors, San Diego County Gun Owners, U.S. Law Shield. Dillon Law Group, CL1, PRMI Mortgage, <clears throat> Blackhound Optics, and National Concealed Carry. Thanks to uh, Joe Jermisi, Michael Schwartz, Sam the Gunman, Brendan, Desi, and Melissa for coming in. This is Gun Owners Radio, FM 961, AM 1170. The Answer! This program is sponsored by Dave Stahl.